Welcome, everybody, to episode 36 of Behind the Blade Podcast. My name is Jim Stewart, sitting across from Mad Martin. How are you, Mad Martin? I am well headphones, sir. <laughs> we went on a little bit of a shopping trip last uh, last week, and Matt scored some pretty sweet headphones. I picture us, like, skipping through the halls of Amazon <laughs> with rectangular bags with handles. Well, well, actually, what it was, we high-fived, and then we ran off into the sunset riding our tigers. That's... You know, I didn't think you were going to tell them about that, but that's exactly what happened. <laughs> All right. So first up on the docket is uh, we got a little bit of uh, got a little bit of news, and we got a sweet history segment coming at you guys in just a bit. Episode thirty six coming at you, kind of live, but a more recorded state. This is Behind the Blade Podcast. Matt Martin sitting across from Mr. James Tiberius Stewart himself. What is up, Matt? And people have called me Tiberius. Have they since really? Since started doing that. Hey. I'm sorry. I don't. <laughs> I, I need to find another character whose first name is James so that, like, <laughs> yeah, I can make more jokes about it. But that's the one that just always seems to hit. You and, know what? I'm kind of cool with it. Okay, it, it, yeah. it. It works. It's fine. It's I fine. I see that. So, first thing, first thing we got in news, and my phone's hey, about to die. But are I'm, you even carrying anything today or no? Dude, I am carrying the sweetest grunt ever made. Oh! <laughs> See, I always look at it. They're so fun to see. So far after you make them, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, I, I get I get usage out of that. I uh, so so the nice thing about that grunt is it is black canvas micarta. It's a copper lanyard tube and copper five thirty seconds tube in the front end. A very very sweet, super thin hollow grind with a nice satin ti- tiger lips finish on it. It is grunt number because I don't have it memorized because I just used the knife four seventy eight. Grunt number 478, Red Grunt's Liners. the last one. I it, think that's the yeah. last grunt. Maybe 479 may be the absolute last. I'm not right. positive, but I think that is the last. The last production level. Dude, yeah. I'm super honored. It's super oh. It's super cool. I love this that's thing. Cool. I love this thing a lot. I've been carrying it a lot more than the Ultralight Bushcrafter lately. Um, I needed, well, I mean, I needed to break off from the Ultralight Bushcrafter. So what, what other thing would I use than something that's designed in the exact same vein? There you go. With, yeah. with roughly the same cutting curve. So boom, grunt. Nice. No, you know, no, uh, no questions about it. It. so i love this thing um it's still sharp as hell i mean it's functionally sharp it's great um i used it to actually um trim um the holes around liners today as far as far as work goes and that so, is like if you work in a knife making shop you know exactly <laughs> so when you drill your hole through your liner and it has that little volcano parapet that goes around the hole yep it's your sharpest knife in your pocket or on the bench that you use to trim that flush and yep. it, seriously whatever the sharpest knife in the room is that's what i'll go for to cut off that little flashing yep, it, that pop, pops up. Yeah. Absolutely. It's got to, it's got to remain flat. And so, and so this was the knife that did the job for me. It just Sweet. like shoop, right off all three holes, slip, slip, slip. And then it was dead flat. That's back awesome. to dead flat again. And I'm carrying it in a now slowly getting, getting beat up. Um, black, black pancake sheath that, uh, that, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 No, just normal, normal standard, normal standard sheath, but I, it does, it does the job and I love it. It's great. feels good on the hip. Hells yeah. I dig it. And I'm also carrying the uh, <clears throat> the uh, Victorian Swiss tool. That Most hated. <laughs> Everybody hates. So, so um, yeah, that's what I got. What about you, Matt? Tell me about what you're carrying, good sir. Okay, well, I am going to do a kind of gorilla ad because it speaks for itself. I am carrying my tried and true CPM S30V US made Spyderco Paramilitary 2 in black texture G10 with a satin finish. <laughs> Now, what you guys don't know is I took this knife to the KME sharpener after I got it. I had freehand sharpener a few times. And then mm-hmm. One night we were watching TV, and I was like, oh, I'm going to take this to the KME, and I'm going to put a sweet edge on it. Sure. Well, I did. 
And I dropped it with the kangaroo hide and like the four Ooh, micron. You, oh, you, oh, you went the extra, the extra level to get the shiny. Yeah, I went the shiny the, thing. I, huh? You would say the extra mile, but I went the extra micron. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Just to get, to get <laughs> yeah. it nice and, and pretty sweet, right? Mm-hmm. So I was pretty happy with it. And then uh, my buddy Jake, who works over at Cami, he showed up for grinding. So mm-hmm. we're on the heels of grinding, guys, just in <laughs> case you need that reminder. All the festivities went down about two weeks ago, and we've been recovering pretty much ever since. Oh, yeah. No, it's constant recovery. I think we're going to hit our peak normalcy about next week. Oh, yeah. And then <laughs> it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it happens yeah. just like Yeah, that. it's just like, boom, uh, done. So, so I sharpened on the KME and then, and this was a couple, shoot, I almost dropped the nest bomb there. This was a couple months ago or maybe eight weeks ago or something like that. But, um, Jake brings over this sharpness tester, right? So this thing is a little machine steel cylinder that has some crosses cut in it Mm -hmm. and you drag across it monofilament line. Mm-hmm. Now there's a rest that the heel of the knife, like of the handle would go on mm-hmm. and you basically press down while on a digital scale and the amount of weight pressed on the scale before the uh, monofilament breaks mm-hmm. gives you a, a, a range. It gives you a value, right? Sure. And okay. that value is translated to a chart. And on that chart, it says like high-end cutlery mm-hmm. or it'll say kitchen cutlery or it'll say needs repair, right. whatever it is. And my spider coat was all for beer, right? So it's like whoever has the dullest knife has to buy beer. (laughs) I had the sharpest knife out of about 25 people and the knives that they had. And it was because of the KME sharpener. Uh So I came in on the the register like a 78. And most people were coming in about like 115. Gotcha. So I'm like, well, I've got a strop, like a power strop for my grinder. You know what I mean? So I said, I can beat that. Like I can get it sharper than that. So I take it to the power shop. The it's like a surge of sharp kind of thing. Yep. I take it to that, thinking that I am going to kill because I've taken that thing to so many knives and made mm-hmm. them so insanely sharp. I actually lost like twenty five <laughs> points. You were and back up to a hundred. <laughs> I couldn't believe awesome. it. I was like, so that's just another way to prove how really consistent and accurate the KME sharpening system is. Because as you strop it using the guide rods, mm-hmm. it's maintaining that geometry. And even though you get a little bit of flex from that kangaroo hide, you're still putting that perfect, perfect edge on there. So a KME edge was the winner by technological reading. <laughs> and and I, I got to say, that's pretty impressive. That's, that's pretty cool. It was that's, awesome. That's pretty cool. Let me see the edge on that thing. Is it is it still, did you bring it back up? I have not taken it back to the KME to bring it back to its original glory. You can, you can definitely tell that it was hit though. It's got that, it's got that really bright mirror finish. Oh yeah, yeah. It's on there. One I mean, side's better than the other, but that's me. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you guys know the guys that are listening, but I'm sure that you've seen Matt the uh, the, the small test that like a uh, like like like, like uh, Muscles from uh, uh, Brussels does with the with with he's got this business card over the edge where you can read the text. Oh on the edge. right, yeah, absolutely. you know. It's so that's 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 the level of brightness that Matt's got on this thing. It's not intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. I'm a working edge guy. Yeah, just I think having fun. I've only done that once. Really. Well, I mean, because there's only one application for an edge like that. It's it's Facebook well, photos. It, it, it's two. Yeah, it's, it's Facebook photos and look at me, see what I can do, and razors. Oh, right. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> there's, your, there's your practical application. Um, but that's just me. I'm probably wrong, so don't yell at me. Um, no, but, I think even sharpening yeah. geeks get it because, it, look, we all have our thing that we get super excited about and mm-hmm. see how far we can push it. To be honest, a mirror polish, although maybe marginally increases corrosion resistant over a bright satin polish mm-hmm. is diminishing returns. Yep. So why do you do it? You do it to see if you can. Yeah. You, I, you know what I mean? And absolutely. That's, that's half the fun. No, I, and I do know some guys that actually take it 
to the max, go crazy with it, and then go back on like a 3,000 grit stone and just do the very, 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 very end edge. Oh, like, and is that what is yep. like a true micro bevel? Is that, that that would be like the true micro bevel not, where, where it's like, not I'm tired of sharpening this. Let's yeah. put another bevel on it. Yeah. Because that's what I think of when people are like, yeah. do you micro bevel your knives? I'm like, no, I finished the job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's beveled that whole bevel that we do. It's, it's all yeah. there the whole way. But, um, but yeah, they'll actually go through and just put like the, oh, sorry. They'll, they'll, they'll put the, uh, the working edge back on it, mm. but, but they still have the shininess. Oh, of, that's the, cool. of the nice, sexy finish. But edge, you have that right? tooth, you know, that just oh, that just just slices through yeah, whatever you need it so to, cool. and then holds it because it's only three thousand. Yeah. So so yeah, pretty slick, man. Here you go. Thank you, sir. Awesome. I thought it was neat though. No, right. that's slick. That's slick. I actually need to play around with my KME more. You have those Japanese stones, right? I the, do. The recut. I I should bring my KME over. You should at some point. Yeah. And, and uh, some beer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take it from there. All right. So so real quick update um, before we dive into a real sexy history. Knifeworks right now has a pre-order up for Doug Ritter's new knife. Dead, Doug Ritter RSK MK1G2. It's a Knifeworks exclusive. Um, and on on the... Oh, uh, did he give it a Mark I designation? MK1? MK1-G2, yeah. Mark1-G2. Yeah. Yeah. Mark one, yeah. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very much Doug Ritter knife. I mean, uh, he's got a pre-order up. Why, why should you care? Because I'm under the impression that a lot of the, a lot of the proceeds that come from this knife go to knife to help fight, um, you know, ridiculous tyranny. Life. Basically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's, knife it's, it's, tyranny. Right. <laughs> You're more of a libertarian than I, than I am. So, <laughs> so it's a tyranny it just goes right against, uh, goes right against that. But, um, it's, uh, it's it, the pre-orders are up for, um, MSRP is 180 bucks and they got it on there for $152 and 95 cents. So if that's something that you guys might want to do and might want to support, go ahead and check it out and see if it's something that you might want. He said this was an exclusive. It's a knife rights. It's a knifeworks.com exclusive. Oh, okay. But they are putting proceeds towards knife rights. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. It's pretty slick. So it's a good cause. I thought I'd let you guys know about it. The knife looks pretty slick. Very, um, if you like a griptilian, you'll love this knife. Yep, the influence yep. is definitely yep. there. But he was a mm-hmm. uh, partial or complete designer of the Griptilian too. Yes, okay. I don't have the full details on that. I probably should have looked it up, but I'm kind of lazy right now. But that's fine. What do you know? Whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's after hours, but, guys. But Give but us it, some but uh, but um, yeah, you guys should definitely look it up. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty good cause, um, and I think it was worth bringing to your attention. Yeah, and if you so, guys are just kind of tuning in, like, hey, we heard about this podcast, and you haven't heard of all the things that Knife Rights and uh, what the AKTI ATKI ATKI I'm going to screw this one up. Yep, yep. I'm already buddy, screwing it up yeah, right now. Yeah, my buddy's like yep. one of the dudes over there too. Um, and I can see their logo. Anyways, what these guys are, uh, as anti-lobbyist as I am in most political venues, um, this is a, a lobby group for knife rights specifically. And, and they really kind of promote the use of knives as tools. And they do a lot to lift negative mm-hmm. litigation yes. that is against knife use. So yep. anytime they're like, well, if you can open a hand one or open a knife one-handed, then it's a weapon. And you're like, man, have you ever had your shirt sucked into a figure eight while repelling? Yeah. And it's nice to have a one-handed knife that you can cut your shirt off before it sucks your nipple through the friction device. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So it's not all menace and mayhem and killing and blood and guts, although we will cover that in the history section. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there are people that we like having advocate for us as knife users, knife manufacturers, knife purveyors, wherever you fit on the spectrum. And this is a good cause. And they actually do a lot of good. Look at the switch band, uh, uh, switchblade bands yep. that have been lifted in the past year. Yep. Well, especially, especially in Michigan. Oh, that's coming up soon, isn't it? What, what's the date today? The date today is October 4th. We have um, about about six more days. Before what? Before it's... Uh, 
it's our it's our first annual Switchblade Day in Michigan. Oh, that's the, right. The effective date. Oh my so. god! I was like, dude, I've been carrying them the whole time. And, 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 but yeah, it's Switchblade yeah. Day in Michigan. That's I forgot about that. That's Switchblade that's awesome. Day. Switch, Switchblade Day in Michigan is coming up in a few days, and we're so excited for it. But we do know that the knife rights guys were behind that legislation. Yes. And absolutely. so that's a little bit more freedom in our pocket. Yep. You know, and uh, so those those are great guys. And it and it is akti.org. Gotcha. While, while I'm here. Perfect. Thank you. So, yeah. And that's, uh, they're not affiliated with Knife Rights, but they're no, another group Just that an, advocates. Yeah. Right. American, American knife, knife and Tool Institute. Knife and Tool Institute. Yep, there, there you go. Exactly. Perfect. Okay. So, um, I think that wraps that up and we'll head right into, uh, right into the... Let's do a history wild. segment. We'll see you guys after this quick break and uh, we will cover some old knife stuff. Knife olds. And we are back after a, uh, we actually, you guys don't know this because uh, it's only been seconds of music since we've last returned, <laughs> but we grabbed a little bite to eat. Uh, Jenna brought us some rotini, my wife, so that was awesome. Thank you, Jenna. It was awesome. I'm still picking it out of my teeth. Uh, <laughs> spinach. Uh, Flavor for later. But we are back with, this was actually, ironically, or mm-hmm. coincidentally, whatever uh, ironically doesn't appro- uh, apply here, but coincidentally, this was Jenna's idea. We were, I was going over, hey. I don't know what I'm going to do for a history segment this week, but and she goes, well, have you guys covered the trench knife? And I said, no. I was like, we actually haven't. So yeah. I said, let me see if there's some meaty research that we can do and sum it up in 15 minutes or less. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, Wikipedia has this really great article. So I went to wikipedia.com, pulled up trench knife. And if you guys <laughs> want to read along and look at the photos, which there's only a couple, but if you want to check them out, um, it is a killer article and we're going to dive into it now. So let's do this thing. For those of you who are wondering... A trench knife is a combat knife designed to kill or gravely incapacitate an enemy soldier at close quarters, as might be encountered in a trench line or other confined area. It was developed in response to the need for a close combat weapon for soldiers conducting assaults and raids on enemy trench lines during the First World War. An example of a World War I trench knife is the German Army's Nankampfmesse, or close combat knife. With the outbreak of the Second World War, Jim's giving me the thumbs up. He's like, you pronounce that really well, dude. (laughs) (laughs) With the outbreak of the Second World War, the trench knife, by this time usually referred to as a combat knife, proved so useful that armies continued to develop and issue new designs. On the Axis side, the Nankampfmesse and the designs developed from it were again widely used to the ordinary, widely issued to the ordinary soldier as general purpose fighting and utility knives, while Allied armies generally restricted issue of trench knives to elite infantry units and infantry not otherwise equipped with a bayonet. And infantry not otherwise equipped with a bayonet. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Early trench knives, with the exception of the German Nankampfmesse, most early trench knives were fabricated by hand by individual soldiers or ordnance blacksmiths. That's a neat job description. Ordnance blacksmith. Ordnance blacksmith. That's pretty slick. That's, it's like, yeah. well, what do you do? <clears throat> I forge cannonballs. <laughs> like that's, that's not, uh, I don't think that's an MOS anymore. I don't think that's an operating specialty no, anymore. Not no, not anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's a little old school. Ordnance blacksmiths for the purpose of <laughs> silently eliminating sentries and other enemy personnel during trench raids. These early trench knives were often nothing more than a shortened and sharpened army-issue bayonet. One type of stabbing weapon, the French nail, was made by cutting and pointing the steel stakes used to support the ubiquitous barbed wire protecting the trench lines. So the, the concertina wire stakes were formed into nails, basically. That's awesome. Uh, and that a lot of that is still used today, even um, as both compliance and a... Uh, 
uh, quick reaction weapon. A lot of guys will carry kind of a spike in mm -hmm. their vest or their molly gear, these door kickers, you know? Right. And it's really just a nail wrapped in paracord or something <laughs> like it. And just something to stick. Th yeah. There's nothing glamorous about it. I mean, yeah. it's not like a historic Fairbairn Sykes. It's, it's, it's a spike, and that's it's a spike. it. And that's you, it. And they work. <laughs> um, doo -doo -doo, I lost my place because I was giving anecdotal stories. <laughs> Uh, all trench knives share one common characteristic. They were designed specifically for military use in close combat encounters with enemy personnel. Some historians say that some trench knife models were inspired by the Bowie knife for its design. Soon afterwards, these fabricated trench knives were being used in defensive close quarters trench warfare, and such fighting soon revealed certain limitations in existing designs. A more elegant form of the French nail was the introduction of the poignard bayonet. Label M1886-14, approved as a standard military infantry weapon after it's developed by Lieutenant Colonel Coutreau. Am I reading that right? Coutreau? Let me see. Where are you at? Uh, at Coutreau? No? Uh, yeah, Coutreau. Okay. Well, yep, cool. Coutreau. Cool. Right yep. on. A plus. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I would have been happy with an F plus of the French <laughs> Army. The poignard mm. bayonet. I think I'm pronouncing it. Ba oh, no, it's Bayonet. Uh, there's a, I see it now. But it's not spelled the way you guys would think. It's B-A-I with the trimal little yeah. dots over uh -huh. it. Uh, O-N-N-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E. Label. Consisted of a long needle-pointed stiletto profile blade with wood handle and integrated knuckle guard made of steel. Originally a conversion of the French Epi Bayonet model. Epi. Epi. Epi Bayonet model. 1886 Bayonet. And design... You have an excellent French accent. Thanks. I just got to throw that out. I don't even know if I'm proud of that. <laughs> and is <laughs> designed strictly as an offensive weapon. The poignard bayonet label, 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 used a section of the M1886 label, long, narrow, stiletto-type cruciform blade. For those of you guys, a cruciform blade, if you were to cut it in half and look at the cross section, it would look like um, a really cool ninja star. So it's kind mm -hmm. of... Uh, diamond shaped but not elongated like the Fairbairn Sykes so it'd be like a square with radius corners cool or sides I should say radius sides mm. um, concave sides if you will uh, cruciform blade designed to quickly kill and surprise enemy soldiers with a single deep thrust up to three trench knives could be constructed from a single bayonet because French mm. industry was working under wartime conditions with numerous material shortages often using subcontracted labor even officially sanctioned French army trench knives tend to vary significantly from knife to knife. I think this is something that we have seen in wartime, as we described in the Navy Mark I. Mm -hmm. There are so many variations yeah. of the Navy Mark I, even though they were all technically made to spec. But no, no two companies made the identical knife. Nope. And rarely, nope. even knife to <clears throat> knife, were they truly identical. Right, even within the same company. But yeah. you're looking at a lot of hand labor. So, I mean, it almost it, it goes without saying. Yeah, it happens you with know? hand labor. I mean, yeah, exactly. When you have that much hands on stuff. Especially under duress. Word. We need yeah. a lot of spikes to kill a lot of people in a lot of trenches. <laughs> like, okay, let's do this. Yeah. The need for knives was so great that already under-strength French army formations were forced to demobilize hundreds of formerly, former cutlery workers so that they could return to their former jobs and begin quantity production of trench knives for the armed forces. So that's crazy. So they demobbed people, infantrymen or soldiers mm -hmm. in any capacity, and they said, can you make knives? They're like, yes. They're like, here's a, well, not a plane ticket in those days, but, <laughs> but they're like, you need to get your butt back to the shop and make right. knives. We need knives. It's like, here's what you're doing for the next two years. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty sure. nuts. Um, let's see. As the war went on, newer and more versatile blade-type trench knife. I guess they did have planes in World War II. I was thinking in the 1800s. Patterns such as a double-edged dagger, uh, couteau poignard mle, 1916, 
D. Le Vengur. I don't know what that word is. I can't get that one out. <laughs> Vengur, I would guess. But uh, began to replace the French nail in earlier stiletto-type trench knives. The French le- led lead in trench knife development was closely followed by the United States, which introduced three successive trench models, the M1917, M1918, and Mark I, 1918, all based directly or indirectly upon previous French designs. Hmm. How do you indirectly... All right. <laughs> you just ask less questions. The, the German Nankampfmesser <laughs> was the standard-issue German combat knife during the First World War. It remained in service in modified form through the end of the Second World War, most of these knives had slab wooden grips and metal sheaths and were sturdily made. According to one authoritative source, German-issued trench knives of World War I were conventional, general-purpose, cut-and-thrust knives with blades that were, for the most part, approximately six inches in length, single-edge with a top-leading false edge, although double-edged blades were occasionally encountered. Now, these are actually really cool-looking knives. And, mm-hmm. I look, I... I I have my own personal issues as far as getting down on a bunch of German gear and stuff like that. But these, if you were to just take a look at the pure strip away, all the politics and look at this knife, this has been a knife that I have admired from a design standpoint since childhood. And I, they're just a very attractive, well-made knife and they're purely utilitarian. Um, but it's also that, that delves into unlike the French nail, which is just a stabbing weapon. Mm-hmm. These are utility knives also. Right. And so, I mean, it's like a bayonet ground or as you call QC ground, you yep. know, uh, they're just, they're very handsome looking knife. They put a lot of effort in the design. Um, after the French nail was employed against them, German forces on the Western front also began to employ converted steel barbed wire stakes into stabbing weapons for the, for use by their own soldiers. It's also worth mentioning here that I'm of German descent, so I don't want a bunch of hate mail for this. Um, (laughs) German trench knives carried during World War II were similar in design and usually known today as boot knives. Although they seldom were carried in boots, most also had steel sheaths with clips that could be attached to boots, webbing, or clothing, and most were made by government contractors and issued as combat gear. British and Commonwealth trench knives. Now we're getting into some pretty cool ones. The British Army and its Commonwealth allies, example Australia, Canada, and New Zealand, used a variety of trench knives during World War I, some were commercial models based on Bowie knives. Others were more specialized types, such as push daggers, with a roughly cylindrical aluminum grip, which is shaped to fit comfortably when the user's hand made a fist. The attached four-inch blade protruded between the knuckles of the user. It was common British practice for trench knives to be used in combination with other quiet weapons, like, this is brutal, trench clubs. <laughs> trench clubs. Pickaxe handles and hatchets during trench raiding expeditions backed up with revolvers and hand grenades. Those are in the less quiet column of trench weapons. You're right. (laughs) Revolvers and hand grenades. Many standardized versions were made by government contractors and officially issued. Most had slab wooden grips with metal sheaths and were sturdily made. During the Second World War, Fairbairn Sykes fighting knife was widely issued to forces such as the Royal Marines, Parachute Regiment, Special Boat Service, and Special Air Service. Um... Regard, I'm just going to take a side step. Um, Special Boat Service, the SBS, there's an amazing book out there called Sir Churchill's Secret Warriors. And mm-hmm. it's about the SBS and the birth of kind of the OSS and then ultimately like the LRDG and SAS. That's awesome. So it is, <clears throat> and you want to yeah. read a historical account and it is, it's accurate for all intents and purposes. I'm sure a couple of conversations were fudged here and there just for the continuity of the book, mm-hmm. but it is a historically accurate book involving real historic characters of that time. That's awesome. And there is a lot of talk of the Fairbairn Sykes fighting dagger in there 
as well as just a lot of crazy spy antics going on when they had no clue what they were doing. That's they, awesome. They were firing for effect in everything that they did. So that, it was really neat. That's awesome. What was the name of the book again? Churchill's Secret Warriors. Churchill's yeah. Secret Amazing Warriors. Amazing book. I, cool. I could read it over and over. It's very inspiring. <clears throat> nice. Um, though not a true trench knife per se, the Fairbairn Sykes was used for similar purposes. Now, the U.S. trench knives, which we all recognize, the first official U.S. trench knife adopted for service issue was the U.S. M1917 trench knife designed by Henry Diston and Sons and based on examples of trench knives then in service with the French army. The M1917 featured a triangular stiletto blade, wooden grip, metal knuckle guard, and a rounded pommel. The 1917 proved unsatisfactory in service, and a slightly improved version, the M1918, was adopted within months. Despite this, the 1918 is almost identical to the 17, differing primarily in the construction and appearance of the knuckle guard. Usable only as stabbing weapons, the 1917 and 18 frequently suffered broken blades. Their limited utility and general unpopularity caused the, caused the AEF to impanel a testing board in 1918 to test various trench knives and select a replacement. The design was followed by the Mark I, which was designated by the Board of U.S. Army Officers to remedy certain deficiencies in the 17s and 18s. Adopted in late 1918 with a blade profile pattern after the French couteau poignard Mlay, 1916, Dite le Vingueux, most Mark I knives were completed too late to see service in the trenches of World War I. During World War II, the Mark I was issued in 1942 and 1943 to airborne troops, army rangers, and marine raiders. So the Mark I, when, when we're talking about this, again, if you want to check out the article, you can see the pictures. When I say the word trench knife, the image that pops, pops up in your mind is that brass-handled mm -hmm. knuckle duster, yeah, yeah. double-edged blade. Yep. It says LF&C Company, 1918. It comes in a metal sheath with the two prongs on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. like that, that knife that you're picturing, that's the Mark I. Nice. The Mark I featured a full-tang design <clears throat> with a double-edged blade and a heavy bronze hilt incorporating a guard, ostensibly shaped as a knuckle duster, though the latter was intended to protect the fingers and prevent the knife from being knocked from the hand while in combat rather than used for a weapon. And I'm calling BS right there because there are points on the rings of that <laughs> ostensibly shaped knuckle duster. And there are there are points on there. So that is not a protective measure. That is a uh, percussive measure. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's an impact weapon. Yeah. If I've ever seen one, and I've seen a few. It's not like it was a sword breaker built into it. Right. You know? Reflecting the savagery of hand-to-hand -hand, hand -hand trench warfare, the Mark I's pommel incorporated a so-called skull crusher cap extension ostensibly designed to stun or kill an enemy soldier to provide a secondary weapon in circumstances where the blade was damaged or broken. A special proprietary metal scabbard was issued with the Mark I, capable of accommodating the new knife and its oversized knuckle duster grip handle. In 1918, Captain Rupert Hughes of the U.S. Army submitted a patent application for a specialized automatic opening trench knife of his own design, the Hughes Trench Knife. This was a curious device consisting of a folding spring-loaded knife blade attached to a handle which fastened to the back of the hand and was secured by a leather strap, leaving the palm and fingers free for grasping other objects. Pressing a button on the handle automatically extended the blade into an open and locked position, allowing the knife to be used as a stabbing weapon. The Hughes Trench Knife was evaluated as a potential military arm by a panel of U.S. Army officers from the American Expeditionary Force, AEF, in June 1918. Unfortunately, after testing, the board found the Hughes design to be of no value, and it was never adopted. Hughes went on to patent his automatic trench knife in 1919, though it appears to have never interested any civilian manufacturers. I, I 
contest that because I can tell you it certainly interests me. <laughs> the U.S. Army adopted the M3 trench knife as a replacement to the Mark I in 1943. The Mark I required strategic metals to produce and was too costly to place into mass production and had been criticized as being unsuited to more modern styles of hand-to-hand knife fighting. As the U.S. Catalog of Standard Ordnance Items of 1943 explained, the trench knife M3 has been developed to fill the need in modern warfare for hand-to-hand fighting. While designated for issue to soldiers not armed with the bayonet, it was especially designed for such shock units as parachute troops and rangers. The M3 was first issued to U.S. Army soldiers in 1943, with the first knives going to elite units such as airborne troops and the U.S. Army Rangers. Despite being designed for hand-to-hand warfare, the M3 did not receive universal praise as a fighting knife upon issue to combat units. While well-balanced, some paratroopers and rangers mastered the art of using the M3 as a throwing knife. The M3's blade was criticized as being too narrow for rough usage, particularly for utility tasks such as opening ammo crates and food tins, while its edge was found to be somewhat difficult to sharpen. The blade's secondary edge was also criticized as being too short, limiting the knife's utility when used for a backhand slashing stroke. Many features of the M3 were incorporated in the M4 bayonet and the M1 carbine and M5 bayonet for the M1 Garand and the M6 bayonet for the M14 rifle and finally the M7 for the M16 rifle. The M3 and all of, the, all, all of these bayonets fit in the M8A1 scabbard officially designated as the scabbard bayonet knife M8A1 with the national stock number of you guys don't really care. Other fighting knives used in the U.S. forces have sometimes been referred to as trench knives. These include stiletto-shaped daggers carried by Marine Corps raiders in World War II and fighting utility knives made by K-Bar and other manufacturers. So there it is. That is the history of the trench knife and how it kind of evolved into the M3, which that profile then carried on to until the M9. I mean, that's through Vietnam and beyond. Um, That is the profile, that bayonet-style blade, bayonet ground blade that's based on the M3. And that, you know, that's a, it's a killer knife, but what they're talking about is because of its narrow, um, or its, its narrow height, blade height is how we refer to it in mm-hmm. the shop. Edge to spine. That's the yep. width, yeah, edge to spine mm-hmm. width. You, and it's thick stock. They were like quarter inch thick. Yep. So you couldn't reduce enough material fast enough to get to that edge to have it be cuttable. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It's true. like a really crummy Scandi grind, except they did a secondary bevel. Right. Now on right. later, like Colt M7s, I want to say, they actually did grind the blades a little bit thinner, but gotcha. then that weakened the blade because you don't have as much stability because it's so aggressively sharp. <laughs> so it was a flawed design, which was eventually conquered by Frobus and Lan K with the advent of the M9. So the M9 nice. bayonet, which was loosely styled after the AK-47 bayonet with its lug holes and the ability to cut chain link fans or mm-hmm. electrified fans or whatever you want to say, um, you know, those fit the same weapons platforms, but the blade was much longer or wider. It was, I think it was the same length, but it was much taller blade spine to edge. And it uh, also had like kind of a survival saw on it. Also, sure. in my opinion, kind of an obtuse knife, mm-hmm. unrefined. And I'm not saying that every bayonet needs to look like a loveless Dixon fighter. I'm just saying <laughs> that there are certain fundamentals that can be applied to these knives where it's like, hey, check this out. This works really well as a knife and I can attach it to a rifle, not right. like a spike attached to a rifle that resembles a knife in picture alone. So anyways, there you go. Everything you never wanted to know about trench knives. Thanks for listening. We'll be back after a quick break to cover, oh, a new segment. So stay tuned. Yeah, we'll go over it. Yeah. What's happening, gang? Matt Martin of Behind the Blade podcast here to tell you about our friends at Genda Industries. 
And I can tell you with 100% honesty, I said, Jim, let's go to the Genda website. Jim, what's the Genda website? www.gendaindustries.com. Actually, this is not clipped in later. I, it's really in time. This is, yeah, this actually yeah. happened in real yep. time. So uh, I said, let's go to the website. Let's kind of dig through there and find some products that are interesting to us. We haven't reached out to Tom today. We talk to him pretty regularly, but I was like, what is a product that gets my interest? Knowing, obviously, that I have a KME system and knowing that you guys probably have a KME system or some other guided system of brand X dot dot dot, we found a product on here known as the Atoma Diamond Plate. And I'm talking to Jim. I said, well, I have diamond stones that come with my KME. And I was like, he's like, he's like, yeah, those work. And I know that they work because I won the sharpness test as we talked to in the first <laughs> segment. I know they work. They work really well. But when I saw the structure of the Atoma stones, my jaw hit the table. I could not believe the engineering that went into these. So if you're happy with the stones that came with your KME, which they're amazing stones, don't get me wrong, but if you wanted to elevate your game and have something that is engineered for pure precision cutting on your edges, and that goes, you know, Jim pointed out to me, he's like, this is great if you have like a serious nick in your edge and you have to get that thing out or if you're reprofiling or wherever you're removing massive amounts of material, you can do that with the Atoma 140 stone. Well, they go all the way up to 1200 grit. And the best part is, yes, they fit the KME, but they also make one by six plates that fit your Edge Pro, Hapstone, TS Pro sharpeners. Uh, and it goes all the way from 140, 400, 600, 1200 grits. And when you look up the imagery on these and you see the structure of the stone matrix, the diamond matrix that's put on there, it is impressive and it looks precise. It, I mean, it, it honestly, you know what it looks to me? Like the gator bits. Remember they had those? Oh, yeah, yeah, the belts, those, right? Well, no, the um, they were like a nut driver. It was like a socket with a bunch of pins in it. And Re- you could fit oh, it to any yes. bolt. I remember that. And remember yeah. how precise all those little pins looked yep. in the commercials? Mm-hmm. That's what it reminded me of. So it's just a lot of engineering, and it's uh, something that you can get to set up your system for professional sharpening. Or if you were like a major edge snob and wanted to elevate your game, this would be the pro level of diamond sharpening plate that you could get. Now, Jim, you also freehand sharpen with these stones. You don't even have yours mounted on a guiding system. Is no, right? correct, correct. I've got uh, a number of uh, shaped in glass stones supplemented by these particular Atomas in 1x6. That's awesome. So it makes a good stone for your kit. It makes a good stone for hand sharpening. And it also makes a good stone that you could set up with your favorite guided system. So I recommend you go check out Genda Industries and the guys at Genda have stepped up appreciating your guys' business, willing to give you a couple bucks off your purchase. Jim, what is the discount code that you can use on Genda Industries? Matt, it is BTB Trench. What that'll give you is 10% off most sharpening and stropping products on GendaIndustries.com. Awesome. So go check them out. And by using that coupon code, you'll be telling them that we sent you. What's happening, gang? Here we are with a new segment of Behind the Blade podcast, which doesn't actually even have a working title. However, we asked you guys to tell us a short story of where a knife assisted you in accomplishing something amazing. We were hoping we wouldn't get a lot of I stabbed this guy in an alley or once in a bar fight, (laughs) dot, dot, dot. We wanted amazing experiences, whether it was bonding with somebody, friends or loved ones, or maybe it was an emergency situation that you had to get yourself out of. And you guys delivered in spades. Now, there's more than we can read today on today's episode, but we grabbed a couple out of there that caught our attention immediately. And there were actually a lot of them that we wanted to do, but we had to make some decisions. So right now, we're going to kick it off with the first story of something 
amazing that was accomplished with the assistance of a knife. And this particular story comes from, hang on, I'm scrolling through as I find it, Adam Kuntz. So Adam says, on one night about 13 years ago, I left to go coon hunting by myself. I live in the mountains of North Carolina, and it was cold. 33 degrees when I left. I did not wear a coat because the area I was going to was so rough, I knew I would sweat myself wet and freeze if I had. I was a long way from the truck below a rough set of waterfalls when it started raining about 1 a.m., soaking me to the skin. Then my knee went out when a piece of previously torn cartilage came out and lodged in the joint, stretching the tendons out of place. My lower leg went left and right instead of forward and backwards. Holy which, crap. I mean, Whoa. that's a pretty serious condition. Yeah, yeah. pain. <laughs> I was crippled, wet, and cold miles away from help. I used the folding precise knife with a saw blade on my hunting belt to cut a crutch and start making my way back. I was conscious of the different stages of hypothermia as I went through them. I slowly <laughs> oh, made peace wow. with my death as I realized I was probably not going to make it. I just concentrated on making one more step, had to argue with myself to not just lay down and go to sleep knowing I would not wake up. The sky was starting to light up at daybreak. When I made it back to the truck, I tried and failed to get my keys out of my pocket. I had lost use of my fingers hours before. I finally was able to get my pants down so I could push my pocket inside out and dump my keys on the ground. I got the key between my wrists, got in the got it in the truck door, but then was not able to get it to turn and unlock the door. I admit I lost my temper when I realized I was still going to die, but now I was going to die with my pants around my ankles. <laughs> <laughs> Fueled by anger and embarrassment, I was finally able to get the door unlocked and get inside. I still had to get the keys out of the door and into the ignition without the use of my fingers, which seemed to take forever. Thank God it cranked, and eventually the heater started to blow warm air. Yes, that old precise knife saved my bacon, letting me cut a crutch, but I almost lost my life because I went in the woods unprepared. Now I never leave the road without a ferrocerium rod, cigarette lighter and a piece of fat wood that has been about 13 years ago and i still carry a cigarette lighter in my pocket every day no matter what i'm doing or where i'm going probably always will so there there you have it so i mean that is speaking That's from impressive. cold experience not only did the <clears throat> knife allow him to create the uh what would you i don't know what you would call that like or, orthopedic assistant yeah, yeah. yeah i yeah. don't know what you would, a, what's a, <laughs> what do you call it what's a crutch yeah it's a, it's a crutch Okay. It's it's a it's a it's a walking it's a walking assistant. Yeah, it's a, I feel like there's a real name for something. I'm like sure that. there is. We're just you know too dumb to think of it. I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. So not only was he able to fashion a crutch out, yeah, but, it's cool. But he also learned the lesson that always have at least one source of fire. Right. And, and he got lucky to get out of there. Unbelievable. Right. I so can... so so you know maybe that's something we should all kind of try to do. Adam, that's a hell of a story. <laughs> it's and, cool, man. And it's really well written. So that was a pleasure to read, and <laughs> I'm glad you made it, and I'm glad you weren't found with blue lips and your pants around your ankles. Ankles, bud. <laughs> Definitely can commiserate with the level of embarrassment. Right. Oh. Yeah. Oh. All right. What do you got, Jim? All right, man. Uh, the the question that I oh, the question the the story that uh, that that I got on my end is uh, from a Chris Mauricio. This is this is this is a good story, and you can absolutely tell that uh, that this really affected him. So Chris writes, I was painting a spray booth when I back blew the gun to remix the carrier and keep the particles suspended. The lid popped off and I caught a face full of lacquer thinned electrodag. Oh, electrodag. Yeah. That Electro sounds intense. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. pretty cool. 
<clears throat> I beelined for the eyewash station, attached the faucet directly, and someone had removed it and attached an industrial black rubber hose to the spigot to wash their car outside. So, so they washed their car outside, th- this guy did, leaving the safety requirement <laughs> completely disconnected. F your eyeballs. <laughs> right, you, don't, you don't need this. No, nothing's going to happen. So dropping F-bombs and worse, I fumbled it. I fumbled with it, unable to, to unscrew it. I couldn't see to figure out. I couldn't see to figure out why. <laughs> I was in such intense pain. I pulled my fixed blade and sliced the hose off in one swipe. Cut, pulled the cut end off, and flushed cold water in my eyes until they stopped burning. So, so somebody had a pretty poor car wash yeah, that day. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, and with good reason. Nobody ever gave me crap about wearing a knife in the shop after that, and they installed a dedicated eyewash station shortly thereafter. I thought he was going to say a dedicated car wash station. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that would have solved the problem, too, and the guy wouldn't have had to, yeah. All right, that fixed blade was the Chris Reeve Aviator number 50. I tell you what, Chris Mauricio, uh, Mm -hmm. he's he's one of my good digital friends. We've Mm -hmm. never met in person, but this is a guy who I just respect the hell out of him and his future bride. And he actually tried to trade me that aviator one day. Yeah. And hearing this story, I'm glad things went the way they did. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm glad you still have that knife. And I'm glad you were able to share that anecdote with us and that we read it on the air on the first time of doing this segment because that makes the nullified trade mm-hmm. all the more valuable. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say about it. But I, that is just too cool, Chris. Thank you so much <laughs> for sharing. And I hope you still have that knife, man. I, actually, actually, if you do go to trade it later, you can say it was it was featured on episode 36 of Behind the Blade podcast. It's famous. <laughs> I'm sure that'll bump up the trade value a little bit. You're welcome, sir. Right. Do, do we have time for one more? Or are we uh, about at time we, overall? <clears throat> we are. We have time for one more if, we, right. if we go right now. We All right, we'll do a funny one real quick. Okay. Only because I'm sitting about 20 feet away from his brother. <laughs> Josh, say hi. Hey. There he is. <laughs> this is from Hawk Antonides. The one that comes to my mind is just when I forgot a can opener for my lunch and had to use my knife to open my tuna. Not that impressive, but when you're hungry, that kind of stuff matters. And that, sir, is a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll see you guys next week. My name is Jim Stewart. Signing off for Mr. Matt Martin. And uh, if you guys, if you guys like your like the content, like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave us a review wherever you are hearing us. We are on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Behind the Blade Podcast, Facebook.com/slash Group/slash BTB Trench Crew. If you're not a member of the Trench Crew, what the hell's wrong with you? You should definitely be a member of the Trench Crew. Get in there, join up. You can get all all of the exclusive content and direct communication with both Matt and I. It's directly connected to our phones, and you should be directly connected to your phone, so you could be directly connected to us. That's well, how that works. A lot of direct connections. That's there. that. It's that's how the world works, man. <laughs> we will see you guys next time. Take it easy. 